Hello, this is Sarah, and welcome to the Sketchy Folk Podcast. So, hello, this, I believe, is episode six of the Sketchy Folk Podcast. For this episode, I completely threw my little schedule that I had for myself out the window. I got way too excited. Um, I released the first three episodes this week, and I've actually had more than just my mother listen, which is just so flattering. Um, Although I don't think my mother has listened, so, you know, it's fine. Um, Anyway, but one of my good friends, Ashley, texted me and said she had a request for someone for me to cover, which is always exciting. I was quite curious to hear what she would say, and her idea was Bill Watterson. So I promptly lost my mind and then (laughs) stopped what I was doing, started doing some research. It's just going to jump the line, and that's fine. So we are going to talk today about wonderful artist Bill Watterson. So if you're unfamiliar, maybe this name is kind of ringing a bell, but you can't put a finger on it, or you just have no idea who I'm talking about, which is fine. Um, Bill Watterson is an artist who is best known for his creation of the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, which we'll talk about, obviously, (laughs) here in just a few minutes. So let's just go ahead and get started. On July 5th of 1958, Bill Watterson was born in Washington, D.C., His father, James, was a patent attorney, and his mom's name was Catherine. When he was six, I believe after his father graduated from law school, um, when he was six, the family moved to Chagrin Falls in Ohio, which is just super cool. I love hearing that people are from Ohio. Not long after they arrived in Chagrin Falls, his mom won a position on the city council, so they were pretty involved in the little town. I can't help but chuckle a little bit and think of Moira Rose from uh, Schitt's Creek, which is just the best show in the world and you should absolutely watch it if you can so chagrin falls is a suburb outside of cleveland basically um it's a really just homey adorable little area um and so that is where bill watterson grew up and that'll come up again here in a little bit when he was eight years old he made his first comic strip and he really fell in love with it he had a lot of fun making it Um, And so he spent a lot of his time alone drawing and painting as a kid, which I can totally relate to. I remember sitting on my butt and watch TV. It was because I wanted to go home and draw, being grumpy when we had to go do things when I was a kid. And it wasn't because I wanted to go home. And so I can relate to that, which I guess it's irrelevant, but it's fine. When he was in school, he was fairly well behaved, according to his parents and teachers. He got good grades. um, He didn't act out. And kind of everyone says that he didn't really have imaginary friends, didn't have, like, stuffed animals he packed around with him, um, didn't have, like, a wild, fantastical imagination. So he really was nothing like the character that he's... He loved reading the Peanuts cartoons by Charles Schultz, like Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Everybody knows those. As well as the Pogo cartoons that were made by Walt Kelly. So... He was super inspired by their work, and that kind of helped drive his desire to draw cartoons even more. When he was in fourth grade, Watterson actually wrote a letter to one of these inspirations, Charles Schultz, who is like the granddaddy of comics, if you really aren't familiar with him. Um, And to his surprise, Schultz actually responded. 
So this made a huge impression on Watterson, and I kind of wonder to a certain extent, like, A, he went from thinking Charles Schultz is really pretty cool to, like, Charles Schultz is the bomb. But also, I am kind of curious as to whether this helped this seem more attainable as a career path to him, maybe? Like, actually getting a response from this person he admired so much kind of helped him feel like, hey, he's just a normal guy, and I can do this too. Fortunately, his parents were super supportive of his artistic pursuits, and throughout school, he was able to find places where he could really put his artistic talent to good use. So he and his friends would make comics together about, like, superheroes. Um, He would make comic strips for the school newspaper, and he would make little strips and fun little gags for the yearbook. So all that's just adorable. In 1976, he went to college, and he actually went to study at Kenyon College, which is in Gambier, Ohio. I might be saying that wrong, it's possible, Um, which is kind of in the central part. And surprisingly, he actually majored in political science. So he knew he wanted to be a cartoonist, but he thought that this area of study would help him to have a better perspective on his subject matter. So he had been inspired um, by the work of an artist named Jim Borgman. This guy was a political cartoonist, and he actually went on to create the comic strip Zips. So Watterson was kind of trying to follow that career path. So initially he was wanting to do political cartoons. While he was in college, he drew cartoons for the college paper, The Collegian. Um, And again, his cartoons were political in nature. And then during his sophomore year of college, I just think this is goofy, he spent a significant amount of time sprucing up his dorm room by painting Michelangelo's creation of Adam on the ceiling. So I would just love to see a picture of that. I haven't been able to find one. Just can you imagine being like the janitor that has to come in and clean up over the summer and that's what's on the ceiling? That's just goofy to me. So he graduated in 1980 with his bachelor's degree in political science and the Cincinnati Post had been a huge fan of his work in the school newspaper and so they immediately offered him a job on like a um, a trial basis basically. Unfortunately though the editors were pretty unimpressed with his work once he actually started working for them and the biggest problem he had or the biggest challenge he faced was that um Obviously, the Cincinnati Post is in Cincinnati, and so he was from Cleveland, he went to school, like, towards the middle of Ohio, and now he was trying to work all the way down in Cleveland, where he really wasn't familiar with, like, the political goings-on down there and everything, so when he was trying to make these cartoons, he just felt like he couldn't really key in on what was going on. So, before his trial period was even up, he was let go, unfortunately, by the Cincinnati Post. So... He moved back to Chagrin Falls, he moved back in with his parents, and he was bummed, but he wasn't too disheartened. He decided that he wanted to have a crack at making his own comic strip. So while he was at home, he worked for about four years for a small advertising agency. Here, he created advertisements for groceries, so he was still working artistically, but this was far from fulfilling work for him. But while he was home, he began designing characters and putting comic strips together. So he worked and worked and worked, came up with the whole thing, put it all together, sent a first sample to a publication, and immediately he was rejected. He kept working. He would create regular contributions for the publication called Target, the political cartoon quarterly. But he really was focused on trying to create his own comic strip. So I read that he came up with and got rejected for five different concepts for his comics. 
He later said in a commencement speech that he gave at his alma mater in 1990, he said, to endure five years of rejection to get a job requires either a faith in oneself that borders on delusion or a love of the work. I loved the work. So fortunately, he was at least doing something that he liked to do. And then in 1985, he began working on a new idea for a comic strip that featured a terror of a little six-year-old and his stuffed tiger slash imaginary friend. These two characters were named after the theologian John Calvin, who, according to Watterson in his book, The Complete Calvin and Hobbes, was a 16th century theologian who believed in predestination, as well as the philosopher Thomas Hobbes, who, again, in the same book, he said was a 17th century philosopher with a dim view of human nature. And the world was blessed with Calvin and Hobbes. So I had read that this was the sixth comic he tried to come up with. So he, this was far from his first idea. And if you were unfamiliar, first off, you should look up Calvin and Hobbes immediately and go have a good chuckle because it's quite entertaining. But Calvin and Hobbes is obviously a comic strip. And as I said, it's about a little boy and his imaginary friend. But really, it's just this little kid who gets in trouble all the time, but he's got this huge imagination. um, And he really just doesn't want to get bogged down by the doldrum of daily life. He would rather pretend that he's a spaceman or a dinosaur or a detective from like the 50s Um, and then his little stuffed tiger just kind of eggs him on and it's it's just goofy it's the best so as I mentioned Watterson really doesn't have much in common with Calvin the character he didn't like base him on himself as a kid but elements of his life do appear in the strip so for example the setting of Calvin and Hobbes is super similar to Chagrin Falls where um, Watterson grew up He had a cat named Sprite who influenced the appearance and everything of Hobbes. Um, His dad was known for speeches on building character, which Calvin's dad does several times throughout the comics. Um, And Watterson himself is a cyclist, so he put that in there. He said, and if after reading this it makes total sense, that the character most most similar to him in Calvin and Hobbes is actually Calvin's dad. Um, He drew him to look like him, and he... I know rides a bike, he's a cyclist in the comic, so that's going to be fun to go back and read through with that knowledge, at least for me. So in 1985, the same year that he created it, it was bought right up by Universal Press Syndicate and immediately got to be immensely popular. In 1986, he was given the National Cartoonist Society's Rubin Award, which is one of the most prestigious in the industry. And I had to look this up because these are a bunch of cartoonists, so I imagine them to be kind of goofy people anyway. And if it's a Rubin Award, immediately the picture in my head was a giant gold sandwich. And I had to make sure that wasn't the case, and it's not, unfortunately. So it's actually an award from the National Cartoonist Society, as I said. It was introduced in 1954, named after the honorary president, Rube Goldberg. Um, The winner is selected by a secret ballot count of people in the society, and it's given to the Outstanding Cartoonist of the Year. It is, at least according to their website, considered the highest honor in the profession. So Watterson was the youngest cartoonist ever to receive it first, and then he also became the youngest cartoonist to ever receive two. And of course, very few people actually have received two of these these awards. So when you think you're hearing about this great success, you think about other movies and books and bands and characters and whatever, 
that are really successful and popular, what's something that's kind of ubiquitous along with that popularity? The answer is merch, merchandise. Um, T-shirts, coffee mugs, bumper stickers, whatever, pencil holders, I don't know. In 1986, so again, just the next year, Calvin and Hobbes was just going like crazy. Everybody loved it. And so Universal Press Syndicate began the process of merchandising the characters. But Watterson was not a fan of this idea, and he said no. In his words during an interview, he said, Merchandising would turn my characters into television hucksters and t-shirt sloganeers and deprive me of characters that actually actually expressed my own thoughts. But unfortunately, it wasn't as simple of a process as him just saying, like, no, please don't do that. Um, Universal put a lot of pressure on him because they knew they could make a ton of money if he would let them do this. Um, he told them that it was in his contract that they could merchandise. He must not have read it well enough. Um, they could go against his will if they wanted to. They could just do it anyway. And if it really came down to it, they could just fire him and continue Calvin and Hobbes with a different artist. Fortunately, though, Calvin and Hobbes was successful enough that they did end up working with Waters and they renegotiated his contract so that he could keep them from merchandising his characters. But you do still see, which annoys me to no end, but whatever you do still see like the bumper stickers of calvin like peeing on whatever the you know we live in ohio so you see calvin peeing on the little michigan logo or anything you you see it all over the place Watterson actually did comment once that i clearly miscalculated how popular it would be to show calvin urinating on a ford logo which is just heartbreaking. And he also had said, only thieves and vandals have made money on Calvin and Hobbes merchandise. So that's kind of an interesting choice. It was compared in one article I read to um, Walt Disney and his concept that just making something really good is all you should focus on and let the money just kind of follow if it's going to. And I can kind of see that he just wanted creative control over his characters if he allowed it to be merchandised and allowed these characters to be put on all kinds of stuff and be put out into the world in a ton of different ways they might kind of gain a connotation or something like that that he loses control over and then whenever people come back and read his comics they won't get the same thing out of them so I understand what he's saying and ultimately they're his characters so as fun as it might be for me to have a Calvin and Hobbes magnet on my fridge I totally understand his desire to preserve that artistic integrity. It's interesting to think about, I guess. Um, He also really fought against the shifting format of newspaper comic strips. So at the time, what was in these comics was becoming more and more controlled by the editors of the newspapers. Um, And obviously they were just kind of trying to go for what they thought was going to get the most money. Um, They had this practice of artists submitting their comic and then if they needed more space they would just cut out the first two squares of your comic um and so a lot of the times the artists would literally just put throwaway jokes in those first two squares so that if they stayed haha there's a little extra thing but if they got cut it wouldn't affect the story and to Watterson this was a huge pain in the butt because he liked to use different um kind of storytelling paths through his comics um he would, you know, put set up for the story in those first two panels, and so he didn't want them cut out. So he did have enough clout at one point, at least, to tell newspapers, I need half a page, you can either give it to me, or you can take my comic out of your newspaper. And there are some that did, um, 
he made a comment about a lot of the editors being very hot-headed about this decision on his part, but um, it didn't terribly negatively affect his circulation in newspapers or anything like that. Calvin and Hobbes was uber successful. It ran for 10 years, almost nonstop. He had a couple of sabbaticals within that time where they ran older strips, but for the most part, from 1985 to 1995, Calvin and Hobbes ran in newspapers all over the U.S. However, on November 9th of 1995, he sent a letter to newspapers to print along with his comic, and it said, Dear Reader, this is all, I'm just going to read the letter to you. So it says, Dear Reader, I will be stopping Calvin and Hobbes at the end of the year. This was not a recent nor an easy decision, and I leave with some sadness. My interests have shifted, however, and I believe I've done what I can do within the constraints of daily deadlines and small panels. I am eager to work at a more thoughtful pace with fewer artistic compromises. I have not yet decided on future projects, but my relationship with Universal Press Syndicate will continue. That so many newspapers would carry Calvin and Hobbes is an honor I'll long be proud of, and I've greatly appreciated your support and indulgence over the last decade. Drawing this comic strip has been a privilege and a pleasure, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity. Sincerely, Bill Watterson. And then the final strip ran on December 31st of 1995. And you should look up the final strip. I looked it up and it made me cry a little bit. It's adorable. Anyway, so it had ran for 10 years and then barely two months (laughs) before he decided to end it, he finally let people know. He does as artists do, still continue to work. Um, He's taken up painting. He enjoys drawing and painting landscapes. At one point, his family owned a bookstore in Chagrin Falls. They might still, I'm not 100% sure. And sometimes he would sneak signed copies of his books onto the shelves. That's another thing he doesn't do. He doesn't sell like his autograph. Um, But unfortunately, he discovered that people were finding these books and then selling them online for crazy amounts of money. So he had to quit doing that, which I think is just so heartbreaking here. He's trying to do something to be like a nice surprise for a fan, but instead people are like, ooh, money. I don't know. It makes me sad. In 2014, he worked with the artist Stefan. I'm going to say Stefan. It might be Steven. The artist Stefan Pastis on the comic Pearls Before Swine, and this was to raise money for Parkinson's disease awareness. So he was basically put in as a guest, um, writer for a couple of comics and Pastis described this experience as like getting a glimpse of Bigfoot because it was just unprecedented almost for Bill Watterson to be um kind of stepping back into the light for a minute after Calvin and Hobbes and it had been almost 20 years since he had released a comic strip um he had done a couple like forwards for other people's comic books he had released a couple like new editions of Calvin and Hobbes books but they weren't there were no new panels just like the 10 year anniversary or whatever so this was a huge huge thing currently he lives with his wife in Cleveland um, and he is extremely private and declines most interviews tons of newspapers and publications have tried to get in contact with him to get him to just do an interview and tell them about his work and his life and what's going on and he will not do it um he has two or three interviews that I've read about one was with the Washington Post um and there was one I'll tell you about in a minute at Ohio State there was literally a story of one author named Nevin Martell who wrote a book called Looking for Calvin and Hobbes and he tried to interview Watterson and basically interviewed everyone around Bill Watterson people who had worked with him um a few family members, people from the town that knew him, things like that, but 
he could not get an interview actually with Bill Watterson. <laughs> so I find that, again, rather interesting. And I'm curious a little bit as to whether that's another case of him just trying to maintain kind of the mystique around Calvin and Hobbes, um, or if he just doesn't feel like talking to interviewers. And I can understand either perspective. So in a rare email interview with the Cleveland Plain Dealer in 2010, um, a quote that he gave them about his decision to end Calvin and Hobbes is as follows. This isn't as hard to understand as people try to make it. By the end of 10 years, I'd said pretty much everything I had come there to say. It's always better to leave the party early. If I had rolled along with the strip's popularity and repeated myself for another 5, 10, or 20 years, the people now quote-unquote grieving for Calvin and Hobbes would be wishing me dead and cursing newspapers for running tedious, ancient strips like mine instead of acquiring fresher, livelier talent. And I'd be agreeing with them. I think some of the reason Calvin and Hobbes still finds an audience today is because I chose not to run the wheels off of it. I've never regretted stopping when I did. So even though it's a little sad that he quit making the comics... Again, I can totally understand the decision to end it. I think we've all had a TV show or a movie series or something where they just keep making them, and at a certain point, it's not the same anymore. <laughs> um, like, the, to me, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies are a great example, where the first one was awesome, the second one was interesting, the third one was getting a little weird, and I don't even know what number they're on now, but, like, what are you doing? I don't... There are just so many. <laughs> and so I can totally respect his decision. So he's had a few other opportunities, interviews. He's made, a, I think, a movie poster for a documentary called Stripped. He, um, like I said, does his own paintings and everything, but he pretty much just keeps to himself. Um, he has had two exhibitions at the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum, which is at The Ohio State University. One of these was in 2002, and then he had another, another one in 2014. And for those, he did give an interview with the curator of the museum. Then in 2014, Watterson was awarded the Grand Prix at the, oh, this is going to be fun, the Angoulême International Comics Festival for his body of work, becoming just the fourth non-European cartoonist to be so honored in the first 41 years of the event. So, that is what I could find about Bill Watterson thus far. He's still living, he's still kind of doing his thing, but he just isn't saying much about it. I'm honestly kind of surprised I could find as much as I did, because I, really the only thing I knew about Bill Watterson was that he made Calvin and Hobbes, so of course he's awesome, but he didn't do a lot of interviews and things, so it was kind of hard to get a bunch of information about him. But I still think that there are a few things we can selfishly <laughs> take away for ourselves from his story. So the first, obviously, I think is to just keep trying. He was a person who experienced a decent amount of failure in his career. And not necessarily, I guess, the most traumatic kind. He had family that was supportive, thank goodness. Um, but to me, it's such a great thing to see somebody who doesn't get what they want right away, but they get right back at it. And I think that makes all the difference with artwork because let me tell you, you know, for every decent thing that somebody makes, they've made 50 crappy ones. <laughs> and so whether you're just talking about trying to learn how to draw a certain thing or trying to get into a certain field, keeping at it, I think, is the only thing that's going to help you. And another thing about his story that I find really fascinating is that he 
when he was in college, he didn't major in artwork. He majored in political science. And so I think it's super important for artists to find things outside of the field of artwork that interest them. Because otherwise, I feel like it gets a little too, like the ball of artwork gets a little too tight. And it's hard for other people to get much out of it. Or it's hard for you to get inspiration and ideas and everything. I think it's a huge help if you can have other things to draw from. So find some hobbies, find something you're interested in reading about or watching documentaries about or just keeping it, keeping tabs on. Um, and I think that can be good for your artwork as well. So the weekly drawing or daily drawing, it's a week of daily drawing challenges, however you want to say it. For this week, it is day one, tiger. Day two, school. Day three, sledding. Day four, pew, pew, like a laser gun. Pew, pew, pew. Okay. And then day five is comic. So have fun with that. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about Bill Watterson. Like I said, Calvin and Hobbes is just my favorite comic strip of all time. And I know I am not alone in that whatsoever. If you don't mind to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. I am planning to release episodes once a week. I hopefully will have a little bit more structured of a schedule in the future. Although I know as soon as I find an artist I'm super interested in, it's going to be the same thing as this one where it jumps the line and my schedule goes to pop, but that's okay. So if you have any other ideas like my awesome friend Ashley did for artists you want me to cover, you can send me an email to sketchyfolkpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at sketchyfolkpodcast. And whenever you do some of these daily drawing challenges, go ahead and tag the account in your photo. And that way I can see your awesome artwork because that makes me smile. And isn't that the whole point? Thanks again for listening. I guess I will talk at you next week and sketch you later. (laughs) Bye.